You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to renewedheartministries.com and click donate. Beware. When you see those in power using law and order rhetoric uh, that used to maintain power, position, control, and political office, Jesus followers should be the first to recognize when law and order is being used to serve and protect the elite and privileged rather than the marginalized and excluded. Welcome to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is episode 343, and our title this week is Jesus and Law and Order. In the beginning of Luke's version of the Jesus story, we read this summation of the character of what Jesus's ministry will be in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke 4, 18 through 19, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here Jesus is portrayed as taking a a firm stand with those his society was pushing to uh, the margins. This solidarity comes into even sharper focus just two chapters later in Luke's Sermon on the Plain. Looking at his disciples, it says in Luke 6, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. And then it continues on. But woe to you who are rich for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now for you will go hungry. And woe to you who laugh now for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone's speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Luke 6, 20 through 31. Jesus here is announcing that God's just future is decidedly for those the present system makes last. Jesus's announcement is that the last will be first. And what about those the present system is already making first? Jesus's words are blunt here. They've already received their comfort. He says in his book, The Scandalous Gospel of Jesus, what's so good about the good news. Peter Gomes explains how problematic Jesus's solidarity with those who are presently marginalized is. This is on page 42 and then on page 31. When the gospel says the last will be first and the first will be last, despite the fact that it's counterintuitive to our cultural presuppositions, it is invariably good news to those who are last, and at least problematic news to those who see themselves as first. Good news to some will almost inevitably be bad news to others. In order that the gospel in the New Testament might be made as palatable as possible to as many people as possible, its rough edges have been shorn off, and the radical edge of Jesus' preaching has been replaced by a respectable, respectable middle of which 
niceness is now God. When Jesus came preaching, it was to proclaim the end of things as they are and the breaking in of things that are to be. The status quo is not to be criticized. It is to be destroyed. Jesus' solidarity, remember, with those on the margins of his society is not just a characteristic of, of, of Luke's Jesus. Each of the Gospels begin on the margins. John the Baptist rejected his more central role of being a priest in the temple. He was a voice crying out in the wilderness. And Jesus was from the marginalized region of Galilee, and the majority of his story takes place there as well. This had deep and I would think encouraging political significance for the marginalized audiences of each of these Gospels. This is Ched Myers in his book, Say to This Mountain, Mark's Story of Discipleship, page 12. While the margin has a primarily negative polit political connotation as a place of disenfranchisement, Mark ascribes to it a primarily positive theological value. It is the place where the sovereignty of God is made manifest, where the story of liberation is renewed, where God's intervention in history occurs. So what does this mean for those Jesus followers whose present social location is not marginalized, but more centered? The temptation is often to call for those at the center to make room at their table for those more marginalized. But Miguel uh, de la Torres uh, offers a, a different option. And this option, it doesn't invite those on the margins to a table at the center of an oppressive society where God is not. It, Instead, it's about recognizing that God is already present at the tables of those presently on the margins. God is already at work there. God is with them. And we are only with God when we too are with them. He, he, he writes, the question for those endeavoring to follow Jesus, uh, whose social location is more central and privileged, is whether they will reject a status quo that privileges some over others on the basis simply of difference and begin supporting and working alongside those our society relegates to the margins. God is already there. The question is, are we, in reality, <clears throat> and this is Kindle Location 1075, in reality, the gospel is thriving in the margins of society. The real question facing those at the center, accustomed to confusing its interpretations with the biblical text itself, is whether those at the center will also participate in the body of Christ that already exists in the margins of society. Jesus's solidarity with those on the margins in the story, it reaches a critical breaking point with Jesus's protest in the courtyard of the temple. And the temple was the, it was the political, economic, and religious symbol of the temple state of his own society. Don't think of the temple as a, a modern Christian church. The temple was much more like a, a state's capital building. And this was the center of power. Jesus's protest in his flipping over the tables of the money changers was the decisive moment 
in the Synoptic Gospels, which marks the threat of Jesus's teachings as having uh, gone too far. His temple protest, it damaged temple property and threatened the income of, of those power brokers who were at the center of, of, uh, of a system that economically exploited the poor. And the growing number of followers of Jesus each day, it meant that those in power, uh, they had to do something. Something had to be done. And this is where we see the machinery of Roman law and order enter the story. Before the week is over, Jesus is hanging on a Roman cross. And Reverend Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas gives us insight into how the rule of Roman law and order, including Roman crucifixion, functioned in Jesus' society. In Jesus' first century world, she writes, this is from Stand Your Ground, Black Bodies and the Justice of God, page 170. In Jesus' first century world, crucifixion was the brutal tool of social political power. It indicated how much of a threat that person was believed to pose. Crucifixion was reserved for those who threatened the peace of the day. It was a torturous death that was also meant to send a message. Disrupt the Roman order in any way, and this too will happen to you. The crucified class consisted of those who were castigated and demonized, as well as those who defied the status quo. Crucifixion was a stand-your-ground type of punishment for the treasonous offense of violating the rule of Roman law and order. Law and order, it should be to protect the vulnerable, those whom the, the more powerful in society will, will take advantage of if given the opportunity. But too often, law and order and the rhetoric that surrounds a law and order approach is nothing more than the powerful of society using law enforcement to silence the unrest and protest of the marginalized that are crying out for a more just and more equitable society. The question we must always ask about law and order is which sector of society is our law and order serving and protecting. Jesus stood in solidarity with the marginalized over and against those who would exploit them. When the law and order is instead standing with the powerful and the centered over and against the cries of those who are calling for justice, we have to recognize that this is not life-giving to a society, but death-dealing, literally. We can have peace through establishing distributive justice, or we can have peace through a heavy-handed use of law and order that silences protest. These are two paths toward peace. Rome used the latter. In America, presently, we're seeing the use of the latter. Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan, they comment on the error of using this method. They write in their book, uh, the, the First Christmas, what the gospel really teaches about Jesus's birth. On page 166, the terrible truth is that our world has never established peace through victory. And he, they're talking about conquest, about law and order, silencing uh, unrest. Uh, victory establishes not peace, but love. Therefore, violence returns once again and always worse than before. And it is that escalator violence that then endangers our world. Beware when you see those in power using law and order rhetoric uh, that used to maintain power, position, control, and political office. Uh, it's only going to escalate the violence when that happens. America has a long history 
of, of law and order being used to systemically serve and protect only the elite or, or, or the privileged. And Jesus' followers should be the first to recognize when law and order is being used to serve and protect the elite and privileged rather than the marginalized and excluded. And, and Christians, again, they should be first to recognize when this American tradition is being repeated. And that's what our story is, is really all about. The resurrection itself is God's definitive nonviolent victory over law and order being used to protect privileged positions of a society's elite. The resurrection is God's definitive nonviolent victory over systemic death dealing. This victory was not one where death is overcome by more severe death dealing. It's one where the death that has been dealt by an unjust system is overcome by life. It's life and life-giving that overcomes systemic death and death dealing in the Jesus story. And again, uh, Reverend Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas calls us to to reorient our interpretations of what the the Jesus story is actually saying to us in moments like like this one that, that we're presently witnessing in the U.S. She writes the same book, Stand Your Ground, Black Bodies and the Justice of God. This is page 188. She writes, the resurrection of God's definitive, the, sorry, the resurrection is God's definitive victory over crucifying powers of evil. Ironically, the power that attempts to destroy Jesus on the cross is actually itself destroyed by the cross. The cross that represents the power that denigrates human bodies, destroys life, and preys on the most vulnerable of society. As the cross is defeated, so too is that power. The impressive factor is how it's defeated. It is defeated by life-giving rather than life-negating force. God's power, unlike human power, is not a master race kind of power. That is, it's not a power that diminishes the life of another so that others might live. God's power respects the integrity of all human bodies and the sanctity of all life. This is a resurrecting power. Therefore, God's power never expresses itself through the humiliation or denigration of another. It does not triumph over life. It conquers death by resurrecting life. The life force of God is a death-negating, life-affirming force. So Luke's gospel, it climaxes not with a Roman cross, but a reversal, an undoing, an overcoming of the rule of Roman law and order that was being used by the elite over and against the marginalized. In Luke 24, 1 through 6, we read, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. The question we have to ask ourselves this week is what resurrecting power against our societal injustice, both private and systematic, are you needing in your life today? I'm thinking about the the, the decision that was just made in, in Louisville, uh, Kentucky. Um, what resurrecting power uh, against societal injustice? are we needing today? And what resurrecting power are the Gospels calling you to go forth and exercise in our own lives as, as members of our society? How can life overcome death 
through us. Heart group application this week, we at Renewed Heart Ministries are continuing to ask all of our heart groups not to meet together physically at this time. Again, please stay virtually connected. There's there's Google Meet, there's Zoom. Uh, we're using Zoom here at Renewed Heart Ministries, but, but find a way to still meet together while practicing uh, uh, some sort of physical distancing. And when you do go out into the public, please keep a, a six-foot distance between you and others, wear a mask, and continue washing your hands to stop the spread of the virus. This week, we peaked over 200,000 deaths in the United States alone. There were over 1,000 deaths yesterday and 40,000 new cases. We as a society are, are moving in the wrong direction. And remember, this is also a time when we can practice the resource sharing and the mutual aid that's found in the Gospels. Make sure the, that others in your group have what they need and and, and make sure you're, you're pressing together but prioritizing protecting those uh, that are most vulnerable within your heart group. And then number one this week, here's the application. Share something, as we always say, share something with your group that spoke to you from this week's e-site or podcast episode. Number two, how do you see uh, law and order rhetoric being used today? What is the social location of those that are calling for law and order? What kind of violence is being critiqued and what kind of violence is being affirmed? And discuss that with your group. And then number three, what can you do this week, big or small, to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home uh, for everyone? Thanks for checking in with us today right where you are keep living in love choosing compassion taking action and working towards justice i love each one of you dearly i'll see you next week